Welcome to GW Central Asia Program podcast series. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, good morning, good afternoon, depending where you are. Welcome to this online seminar of the Central Asia Program at the George Washington University. It's a very special event to discuss the exceptional situation uh, of the last week in, in Kazakhstan. There are still many things ongoing in the country, especially in Almaty, still many unknown. So I think we need some modesty and humility in analyzing what is going on, but it's also very important to try to put together the different pieces of the puzzle that we have uh, uh, so far. And so for that, we have five uh, uh, great speakers who will be able to give them, give us their, their, their vision of what has been happening and some clue about how to interpret that. We wanted to have speakers directly from Kazakhstan, but as you may know, internet is not working or working only in the morning, Kazakh time. So there was no way to get them uh, at this kind of late evening uh, time uh, currently. But our speakers will be able to share a lot uh, with us today. So we will have first uh, Mehrat Saribjanov with the Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty Central Newsroom Senior Correspondent and former Director of the Kazakh Service. Then Timo Omarov, Research Consultant at Carnegie Moscow Center. Pauline Jones, Professor of Political Science and Director of the Digital Islamic Studies Curriculum at the University of Michigan. Barbara Janisby, Associate Professor at Pitzer College. And Nargis Kasenova, Senior Fellow and Director at the Program on Central Asia at the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard. I will give them the floor, each of them, for about 10 minutes. And during that time, I invite you to begin asking questions question in the chat box and then at the end so in about uh, 50 minutes we will have time for the Q&A we will go not for 60 minutes but for 90 minutes and so we should have about half an hour for uh, a discussion and I will be moderating uh, the Q&A session. Once again welcome and Mehrad the floor is yours. Thank you thank you and I'm greeting everyone from Prague Czech Republic um, Unfortunately, today's topic is not a very good one for myself personally, because it's about my country, Kazakhstan. Uh, what happened last week uh, shocked everyone, of course, uh, even people who were by uh, their profession uh, following the events and developments there. We got used to uh, regular protests in Genozan and uh, oil regions in Kazakhstan, which happened from time to time but we never expected that uh, this will lead to something that would happen. In the beginning, it looked like uh, the protests were uh, supported by other regions uh, close to the region, uh, close to Genozan and further on, but gradually uh, the, the protest was hijacked by unknown individuals uh, in a very controversial statements, uh, President Kasim Jamar Tokayev called them uh, terrorists, even international terrorists, giving the, the, the number, which is ridiculous for everyone, 20,000 international terrorists uh, operating under command of a single center attacked Almaty only. That's for, for anyone who is a, a grown-up person, it's uh, incredible to believe. As a person who served in the Soviet army, uh, for myself, 20,000 troops is impossible to believe or whoever they are. Uh, for me personally, it looks like the some part of protesters, people who came from uh, the regions which are the poor regions, po impoverished regions, most likely some of the, of the protesters might started this kind of violence. But I also believe that there were some groups organized by uh, the uh, government uh, controlled uh, groups. And uh, as it usually was during the Soviet time, the KGB organized um, uh, provocations which uh, with a goal to discredit the protests were, the, the taxes of that kind were used here as well. Um, we also, uh, can say that 
the uh, some kind of tug of war between uh, between uh, Tokayev and uh, other groups. I mean, elite groups close to Nazarbayev most likely had taken place. Uh, the thing is that uh, we know that Masimov, Karim Masimov, the closest, one of the closest uh, allies of Nazarbayev was arrested. He was the, uh, the chairman of KNB, uh, Committee for National Security. And uh, today we just learned that one of his closest associates, Azamat Ibrahim, the colonel was uh, found dead, most likely committed suicide. Um, uh, regional police chief in Jambil region also committed suicide, according to the reports. And uh, the officials confirmed that he died, but they didn't say how and in what circumstances. Uh, I think many things coincided here. The um, protests erupted, the protests were hijacked, and then uh, the standoff between uh, Tokayev and Nazarbayev's people somehow uh, took place as well. And the question is why? Uh, well, where is Nazarbayev himself? Is he in a very um, uh, grave condition? That's why the, the, his, his, uh, his uh, associates started uh, trying to remove Tokayev. We still didn't see him. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know where he is. We know that his press secretary, Aydosu Kimbay, said that he is uh, okay. He never left Kazakhstan and he calls all Kazakhstanis to uh, support Tokayev. So, and this is very situation, of course, uh, Russia used this opportunity and uh, some deal was made and uh, the, uh, uh, the CSTO troops for the first time in the history of this organization was sent to Kazakhstan, which was admitted very in a very controversial way by many in Kazakhstan, of course. Many uh, compared with the uh, with, uh, intrusion of the Soviet troops, uh, Warsaw Pact troops to Czechoslovakia in 1968. Some uh, compared with situation in Belarus uh, and many other. We cannot say for sure what really is happening there because the information is very, very, uh, we lack, we lack the, the complete uh, information because among all these reports, uh, the statements like 20,000 uh, troops or uh, terrorists coming to Almaty only, you know, they don't give us any uh, ground to believe anything the government says. And uh, also, uh, we don't know if, if when, when, when they say Masimov is arrested, we just remember how uh, in 2005, the former mayor of Almaty, Zamanbek Nurkadilov, was found dead with two slugs in his heart and, and then one slug in his head, and it was pronounced as, as a suicide. So uh, to, to trust to whatever, whatever the, the government says, it's very hard. Altindex Arsimbayev, who was killed in 2006 with his two uh, associates, the opposition figure, also, uh, there were trials. Uh, one person was sentenced as an organizer, and then it turned out he was has nothing to do with it, with this. And then Rahat Alif, presidential son-in-law's, pronounced as a suspect, and he was found dead in the Austrian jail. And all this, you know, that don't don't give any grounds to believe whatever the government is now saying. And of course, uh, in today's uh, during today's session of the CSTO. Member states uh, officials, when uh, when Vladimir Putin and uh, Tokayev again reiterated there was a uh, international terrorist group, international like uh, external forces attack to Kazakhstan, were sounded sounded completely groundless for for for, for many who who knows Kazakhstan and who 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 uh, follows the the developments there. The most important thing, of course, is that everything is under control now. And uh, we'll see what's going to happen. And uh, if Tokayev is still in power, uh, I think he will try to get rid of uh, Nazarbayev's people to the end. That's my thinking. And uh, uh, most hopefully, he will probably start some, some reforms he promised. 
Uh, that's the only thing I can tell for right now. Wonderful. That's Thank you so much, Merta, for kind of launching the, the, the discussion. As I said, the knowledge we have can only be very partial and, and fragmented. So I think it's giving us a good idea on how to begin the discussion. And I now would like to give the floor to Timur. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, thank you to Merhat for uh, this great introduction. Um, I also want to say that uh, we really have not much of uh, information right now to make any conclusions. Uh, but uh, from uh, we already see, uh, considering all of the um, internet disconnections and uh, blockages in Kazakhstan, um, I see that uh, um, uh, the official um, official statements that are made right now, um, I, I don't think that they have uh, objective behind them. Uh, because uh, when we listen to Takayev and uh, all of the state media and uh, expert, some expert communities, um, uh, they all say right now that um, it was a planned, uh, organized uh, terrorist attack to, uh, with the with the goal uh, to make a coup to uh, take uh, take Takayev down. But uh, for me, uh, there are many um, you know holes in this theory. Uh, first of all. Uh, if we look at how coups are organized in other countries like uh, Kyrgyzstan, as we all know, uh, uh, this happens quite differently. Um, if it really was a coup, why everything happened in Almaty, not in Astana, not in Nur Sultan? Why uh, protesters chaotically destroyed uh, just infrastructure, roads, uh, cars, uh, supermarkets. Um, it, it doesn't look like, uh, you know, very organized group of people who have one uh, particular goal. Uh, for me, uh, it, it was really a protest that went too far um, and went very, very radical. Um, and the main reason for that is, um, that uh, why the government didn't expect it uh, is that uh, government just lost a uh, sense of uh, what uh, society um, thinks about the government, what uh, is the level of support um, in the society. And this uh, miscommunication led to this unexpected um, uh, situation. Um, and um, now we see that uh, President Takayev uses um, this uh, very uh, dangerous uh, situation uh, in his own uh, favor, um, as it looks from, uh, from uh, not inside, but outside of Kazakhstan. Um, uh, but again, uh, we shouldn't forget that um, apart from his consolidation of power, apart from uh, him right now becoming more influential player in, inside Kazakhstan, there are also uh, very big um, uh, risks for him. Uh, first of all, let's not forget that uh, Tokayev is um, uh, was put uh, to his uh, current position by President Nazarbayev, who is very unpopular, um, as it seems right now. So uh, um, it uh, it is not uh, true that. Uh, people uh, will forget that uh, Takayev uh, is associated with uh, Nazarbayev, uh, or if he gets uh, rid of Nazarbayev and his people from the government, uh, the people will be okay with that. Uh, people still think that he uh, is a part of the system, um, and uh, it's not just enough to uh, you know, get rid of uh, Nazarbayev as a head of um, uh, Security Council. Uh, there also should be uh, other steps uh, taken. And during the protests, we heard um, uh, people saying that uh, they need new elections uh, and new political reforms. And I think uh, this is what uh, people will be demanding um, in the future. Um, another 
uh, risk for Takayev's uh, position um, in Kazakhstan's political future um, is that right now he uh, relies uh, on Moscow much more than um, he used to and much more than Nazarbayev used to. Um, I mean, Kazakhstan for years has been known as this uh, you know, very good example of uh, multivectoral foreign policy. Kazakhstan was always uh, a place where um, all Russia, China, and the Western uh, countries could find a middle ground, could uh, work together, and uh, it was not a uh, you know a country where um, uh, the balance between those three main uh, uh, geopolitical actors uh, was um, in a big conflict. Uh, Kazakhstan always. Um, uh, manage it to uh, balance between those. But now, uh, when uh, Takayev asked uh, CSTO, and obviously for everyone, CSTO is a Russian-led organization, we cannot say that um, CSTO is a um, um, you know, an organization where all of the parties have uh, similar uh, power. Um, Takayev will uh, owe Moscow his uh, legitimacy, his uh, position. And this will, of course, uh, mean that Moscow will have um, much more influence on not, not only foreign policy of uh, Kazakhstan in the future, but also um, in um, domestic affairs. Um, and for Kazakhstan's future, um, I think it means that uh, we will, in the nearest future, see uh, some uh, very similar uh, political moves um, that we saw in Russia after protests, that we saw in Belarus after 2020. Uh, we will see a lot of uh, new uh, cases against um, activists that were uh, seen during the protest. I will not be surprised if we will see uh, uh, you know, any new laws against NGOs, uh, against uh, independent media, uh, this will, will not be uh, surprising for me. Um, I will stop here and we'll be happy to answer any questions. I, I see we have a lot of them. Thank you so much, uh, Timo, for your comments. And I'm now giving the floor uh, um, to Pauline. Sorry about that. I think I was still muted. Uh, thank you so much, Marlene. Thank you to the organizers. And thank you, Timur. You set this up perfectly for me because I really want to shift focus uh, away from trying to understand uh, current events and, and how they unfolded to what this all means for the future of, of Kazakhstan. Um, and as Marlene said, we don't have, uh, and others have said, we don't have all the information. And so I am uh, being speculative a bit about what I think this means for the future. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's bright. I will say that. Um, but I think what we can do uh, or what we should do is think of this uh, moment, this historical moment, uh, as the end of a political transition that began in 2019. Uh, put differently, what I mean by that is 2019 was Nur Sultan Nazarbayev's first exit from power and 2022 seems to be his second exit from power. And the nature of the second exit, I think, has much broader implications for where Kazakhstan seems to be headed. So how does Nazarbayev's second exit differ from the first? I would say his first exit in 2019 was graceful, well-timed, and incomplete. It was graceful because rather than running for a sixth term in 2020, as everyone expected, Nazarbayev, who, as we know, was Kazakhstan's first post-Soviet president, he held the position for almost 30 years, resigned on March 19, 2019, and anointed then-chairman of the Senate, Qasim Jamar Takayev, uh, his successor. Nazarbayev's first exit was also well-timed. If the goal, as I, and I think it was, was to preserve his own legacy. Uh, Nazarbayev built his reputation on the perceived success of his model of development, which was predicated on stability and prosperity via economic liberalization and soft authoritarianism. But these gains had really peaked by the mid uh, 2010s. And since roughly 2016, the economic situation in the country just continued to stagnate due to oil, oil prices, corruption and constraints on the growth of the private sector. Not unrelated, Kazakhstan also during that period experienced uh, increased popular discontent and political mobilization, forcing the government to utilize uh, some of its sovereign wealth, sovereign wealth fund to both support the economy and to increase social spending. Uh, 
Uh, clearly it wasn't enough, but there was some attempt. Um, finally, Nazarbayev's first exit was incomplete. He retained influence over the country in both formal and informal ways. Formally, uh, he was named lifelong chairman of the National Security Council and leader of the ruling Nur Atan political party. Nazarbayev's second exit, I think, uh, couldn't be more different from his first. It is dishonorable, ill-timed, and complete. Uh, Nazarbayev was forced out, as we know, in the wake of these mass protests that have swept through Kazakhstan since January 2nd uh, of this year. Um, and although these protests uh, began in response to a steep rise in fuel prices in, in one part of the country, they quickly spread uh, to many other parts of the country, um, and they escalated from economic grievances to uh, concrete political demands. Foremost among these demands was for the regime to finally distance itself from Nazarbayev. Um, President Tokayev responded uh, not only by dismissing Nazarbayev from his formal position as chairman of the National Security Council, but also by attempting to remove Nazarbayev's political allies in the security apparatus and replacing them with his own. Although these actions uh, and others that he took did not quell protests, uh, they sent a strong signal that Nazarbayev is being held accountable for Takayev's failure to implement needed and promised reforms. They have also thus, I think, changed the meaning of Nazarbayev's legacy, of his, his intended legacy. Uh, rather than being held up as the Elbasiya, the leader of the nation, and remembered for securing Kazakhstan's stability and prosperity, I think Nazarbayev will likely, more likely be equated with Kazakhstan's fragility. And more so, given Takaya's choice to repress protesters, uh, to engage in brutal repression, and to invite foreign intervention to prop up his regime, Nazarbayev's second exit will also likely be associated with the country's violent turn and loss of sovereignty, as I think Tamar uh, alluded to perfectly. So what are the broader implications? I clearly, I, I, I think I've, I've indicated uh, in a sense um, that they're not, they're not positive. <laughs> um, I think that Nazarbayev's second exit uh, signals three um, important uh, points of departure in terms of Kazakhstan's future trajectory. The first is an end to soft authoritarianism. Um, Takayev has clearly, I think, taken uh, the country in a more repressive direction. His decision to move swiftly to violent suppression of the protests and then order shoot to kill has opened the door to, use, to the use of state violence as a tool of regime stability. Um, this is not to say that the previous regime never used violent repression. Of course they did. And then there's a, an acute example um, in, the, in the very town um, where the January 22 protest started, Jerozen, um, in Western Kazakhstan. Um, that in, in 2011, police fired on and killed protesters. Uh, so I'm, I'm not uh, suggesting that the, the re former regime was not capable of this. Um, but the regime, uh, the Nazarbayev regime, the previous regime, um, also regretted this use of force and tried to learn from it. Um, and so when there were larger demonstrations in 2014, after a currency devaluation, for example, and in 2016, in response to land privatization, the regime exercised restraint. So it wasn't a, a common tactic of the regime to use this kind of violent, brutal uh, repression against um, peaceful protesters. Takaya's repressive turn um, could also, I fear, bring an end to uh, elections and political competition. Even if elections were rigged and even if political competition was limited, it at least gave some semblance of contestation and representation um, in this uh, authoritarian regime, this soft authoritarian regime. Um, I think Takayev may be reluctant to hold elections, at least in the near future, um, for a few reasons. One, given the possibility of, of it serving as another focal point for popular mobilization and mass protests, we know that it, it commonly has across the former Soviet Union and outside of it. Um, and he clearly doesn't deal well with mass protests. Um, he may also be reluctant to hold elections because of what I think is a huge hit to his own popularity and legitimacy after the use of brutal force and after the call for outside military intervention, particularly of Russian troops. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Um, the question remains, however, I think this is a, is a crucial question that, that both of my colleagues uh, raised um, in their remarks. Um, is whether Tokayev will continue to choose repression over reform. Will he engage in the political and economic reform that is needed and that he has promised? Um, will he take um, the protesters' demands seriously, uh, you know, calling them terrorists and, and, and um, sort of dismissing them as, as being um, uh, orchestrated by, by foreign interests? 
um, you know, it's a tactic, but is it something that he's internalized to the extent that um, he's going to continue to choose repression rather than to engage um, these, at least the initial protests as, uh, uh, as legitimate um, uh, calls for uh, political and economic reform. And if he chooses reform, then he could possibly restore some of his popularity and legitimacy, which would make him more willing to hold elections in the future and allow some, uh, at least some semblance of political competition. So it remains to be seen. The second key point of departure, I think, is uh, again something Tamora mentioned: the end of uh, a multi-vector foreign policy. Um, as as Tamora said, um, Nazarbayev had, had played a really um, a, a expert uh, sort of balancing act among uh, different um, actors. Um, he remained friendly towards Russia, um, but he also maintained really good relations with the West, um, so that he could court Western leaders as well as energy companies. Takaya's actions, I think, bring Kazakhstan further away from the West and closer not only to Russia, but also to China. Um, this is not just a move or a turn toward more oppressive, repressive authoritarianism and away from soft authoritarianism, but I think it's also clearly a turn toward authoritarian solidarity with Russia and China. Um, by taking Kazakhstan's authoritarian regime in the direction of greater repression, I think it's now uh, in lockstep with these two major authoritarian players uh, in the region um, who have always wanted more uh, influence in, in Kazakhstan. Um, Russia has a physical you know, boots on the ground. And of course, this has serious implications both for the short and the long term, even if the, even if the intervention is only short term. It has uh, implications for popular discontent, discontent uh, and thus for future popular mobilization. It also has, again, Tamor mentioned this, um, it has implications for Takaya's loyalty to Putin and thus for future key decisions, key decisions that are about foreign policy and domestic policy. Takaya's harsh response to protests was also explicitly embraced by the president of China. So we know that there's some support there, not just his, um, his violent expression of the, the protests themselves, but his invitation uh, to uh, the Russian uh, intervention. Finally, I think the third key point of departure uh, is this is the end, it seems, of Kazakhstan's global image of stability, prosperity, and perhaps most importantly, sovereignty. Uh, this is an image that Nazarbayev very carefully, very expertly cultivated. And um, it was a, a, an image that was important both for international and domestic audiences because it helped secure the regime's legitimacy both at home and abroad. And so I think what this has meant internationally is a loss of credibility, at least in the West. It's also a strong signal to the West, as well as to other states in the post-Soviet region, that Russia will not hesitate to intervene in what it considers its sphere of influence. Domestically, I think the Russian troops can definitely cause a nationalist backlash. This is what I was referring to earlier about uh, popular mobilization in response to this, this decision to allow foreign intervention. Um, it also uh, domestically, um, this, this can lead to a perceived loss of sovereignty, which is gonna affect the regime's legitimacy, as I mentioned earlier, and thus possibly uh, the continuation of this repressive uh, authoritarian trajectory that Dakayev seems to have taken the country in. Thank you very much. Um, and I'll end there and wait for questions. Thank you so much, Pauline, for these great comments. Let's now give the floor to, to Barbara. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah, wonderful. Um, uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here. And I did want to uh, acknowledge and give my recognition to those of you who are from Kazakhstan and have family and friends there. I know this is a really difficult time. Um, so my ex-husband and my youngest are in Almaty and uh, I hadn't spoken to them for a week and it was terrifying. So my heart goes out to all of you who have family and friends there. Um, I would like to, um, many of my comments are, will be repetitious, I think, of what others have already said. Um, but I'd like to think about this, uh, acknowledging that we have very limited information. We come with our earlier frameworks, you know, how we see Kazakhstan based on our research and our understanding of the country um, and our disciplines. Uh, I would like to divide up how I, I'll, I'll share how I think about it in terms of different levels of analysis. So first I would like to acknowledge the protesters. Um, and, and my comments are also based on some conversations I had yesterday 
in the more early morning and in the evening with folks who are in Almaty. And I'm gonna focus mostly on what happened in that city. Um, so let me show some photographs really quickly. Oops. Ah, sorry, technical issues. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna share my screen. And these are some photographs from early Thursday morning in the city of Almaty. Um, so these were sent to me uh, by a friend who is in the city right now. And their comments were um, that Wednesday night, there was massive looting in the city and that it looked like the violence had overtaken the protesters and that possibly the protesters were a different group than those who were violently engaged in destruction. Um, it also looked to my friend that there was no military and no police around Wednesday evening, which I would like to return to in my narrative. So this is early, one, early Thursday morning after the destruction, protesters, peaceful protesters are gathering on the square in Almaty, making plov for their community. We are a simple people. We are not terrorists. Tokayev soldiers leave. We are a peaceful people. And then again, Tokayev soldiers leave. We are peaceful people. Um, we are simple people. We are not terrorists. And that's that. So I wanted to start with that. So I think there are many things happening here. The first is that yes, people are hurting. And I would agree completely with the things that have been said earlier, I think particular by uh, Pauline and Mirhat, that Kazakhstan used to be a place where the middle class expected to grow and expand and people expected that their life would get better. And I think this is really important for people who live in the cities, but it's also really important to note for Kazakh speaking Kazakhs who come from the villages, who move to the cities to find a better life. There is a narrative in Kazakhstan that Kazakhstan is the place for Kazakhs. And yet we know that Kazakhs are the ones who are economically disadvantaged and suffering and rural Kazakhs are doing terribly in Kazakhstan. I think it's also really interesting that Tokayev made a lot of his comments and speeches in Russian. So I've lived in Kazakhstan off and on for various times and that kind of anger that I felt among Kazakhs who've moved to Astana or Almaty was there for a long, long time. So I, and then there's, you know, people who like in the, you know, up to the mid 2000s, they expected that their lives would get better. People would all have cars. That's why gas is so important because everybody has a car. People thought that their children would live better and they haven't, right? There's been a decline, global decline, right? In the United States, we're not immune to this either. Um, so I think that there is a real protest element and that it's, you know, I am sympathetic to it. I, I feel that it is correct. And I, my, my sympathy goes to the protesters and those photographs touched me to no end when I saw them. I think there's also, it's also true in Kazakhstan, and this is what a lot of my research has been on, is that there's infighting in that regime. We can't think about it as a consolidated monolithic system. And I think Pauline said it so beautifully in regards to foreign policy and Mirhat said so beautifully in regards to the regime. I think both of you used the term balancing act. Nazarbayev was not only excellent at balancing foreign policy, he was excellent at balancing all of these different elite groupings. He did not always succeed. We know this from different kinds of elites who've gone into the opposition. But for me, the most important element here is, and I'm speculating, I don't have evidence. I'm going to say what I think based on what I've studied. I feel that a lot of this has to do with the Nazarbayev family. So, so interesting that in a BBC interview that uh, former Prime Minister Akijan Kajagelten gave just yesterday, I think in the morning, um, he said, and the journalist pushed him, but he said, Almaty is the city of Nazarbayev's family. Nothing happens there without their permission. And I thought about it and I, um, 
have studied how Nazarbayev's family has caused a lot of infighting within the elite and has been a, so, a weak spot for President Nazarbayev. So I asked my, one of my friends who's in Almaty about this possibility. And they said, I walked in the streets on Wednesday night and there was rioting and looting and it was chaos and I saw no police and I saw no military. Then on Thursday morning, all the rioters were gone. The peaceful protesters were back and there was still nobody. There was no military, there was no one. That person also said that the buildings were not protected and that the airport was not protected. And that is why the destruction was allowed to happen. And it brought me back to the conversation to the interview with Akishan Gelsin, and I was, I was thinking there could be a connection there and I don't have evidence for it to be so, but it is very strange that at the time when the writing happened, there was no protection and that that protection came later. And that Kazakhstan is, is in some ways could be considered like a weak state, but in other ways it's not. I have been to protests earlier in earlier times in Kazakhstan and the police presence and the military presence and the, what is it called? The Oman presence was tangible even in the most peaceful protests. So it is very strange to me that in this case of chaos and violence that they would not also be there. Um, so I think there's a lot of things happening here. Uh, it could be that the protests occurred and they were widespread across the country and um, perhaps people, not Nazarbayev himself, but people close to him, including perhaps his family members, like they may have used that as an opportunity to, to um, stake their claim more forcefully and more powerfully to try to undermine President Bukayev and it could have backfired. Now, these are all just my speculations and I don't, I mean, there must be alternatives, but I would like to definitely give my respect and my honor to those brave people who went out and who used their voice because that, I think even in, when I think about even in democratic countries, it's not always easy to do that, right? But I think some other things are happening too. And I think it will become clearer what those fissures are in the government. Um, and the fact that Masimov, you know, um, was arrested and the other cases that folks had given examples of also, I think, supports this idea that there are multiple levels of things happening and that the state is trying to use it to its, Tokayev is trying to use it to his advantage. Um, and then my last comment is about terrorism. I think terrorism is a really interesting, it's a very convenient blanket because you can say people on the streets are terrorists and inside the government, there have been infiltrations of terrorists. And then you can take care of both problems at the same time uh, under one umbrella. And then you can invite Russia, right? Because they're also afraid of terrorists. And then you can get sympathy from abroad because everybody is, when it comes to the word terrorism, everyone wants, is fighting against it. Um, so those are my initial thoughts. Um, and uh, I appreciate your, your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Barbara, for your great comments. And let's now give the floor to Nargis. Thank you very much, Marlene. And uh, today, today is the day of mourning in Kazakhstan. And uh, my heart also goes to all my compatriots so, and, um, and everybody, um, everybody there. Um, so let me build. Uh, let me build on what uh, my colleagues uh, have been saying. Uh, the, indeed, there are so many questions um, that need to be answered. Uh, but let's start with what we, uh, what we know as, as of now. Um, until last week, uh, President Takayev uh, didn't have full power and actually didn't have much power. Uh, he was uh, surrounded by, uh, by Nazarbayev clan um, clan people. Uh, so that's something that we need to uh, keep in mind. Uh, he was, of course, he was appointed by Nazarbayev and he was part of this political, political transition process. And uh, we don't know what role he was assigned in this transition process and whether kind of there was a further, you know, further plan. 
uh, we also know that was that there was intra-elite, uh, intra-elite, sorry, uh, struggle going on, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, possibly it uh, uh, got intensified with the uh, alleged worsening of uh, uh, Nursultan Nazarbayev's health. Uh, and uh, we, of course, we don't know what plans these these groups and how many groups uh, have been uh, have been entertaining. And uh, um, yeah. uh, we uh, we know, as as Barbara mentioned, that uh, some members of the uh, political elites in the country, uh, and especially um, members of his family, had. Pretty shady, shady networks. Yeah, Barbara said that that uh, uh, well, Bulat, uh, for example, Bulat Nazarbayev. You know, he controlled the, the bazaars in the Almaty, uh, Almaty Oblast, uh, and uh, uh, Samat Abish. He uh, he was heading various sports associations, and we know what sports associations are in the post-Soviet space, and the the kind of the, the banditry and the the racket that is associated with it. Uh, we know that uh, Kairatsa Tibaldi kind of he, uh, uh, he sort of he has been patronizing uh, various Islamist networks, and you know at a certain point he even tried to create the um, the Akorda Islamist movement. Uh, so we kind of we, we knew all this yeah. um, prior to uh, prior to these uh, prior to these events. Now. Last week, it's hard for me to believe that all these events, the chain of events, started only seven days ago. So much, so much has happened. Uh, but uh, indeed, the it's the kind of the, the, it all started with protests that spread like fire from from Western Kazakhstan across the country, and uh, uh, the uh, uh, and the the kind of. Uh, the causes where all these grievances that have been uh, have been accumulating, uh, socioeconomic uh, uh, grievances, also uh, the kind of uh, disappointment with the uh, with the government and with the mismanagement and corruption and and all of that. So it's not surprising that uh, that this protest spread, uh, given the worsening economic situation, given the pandemic. Uh, we uh, we know that something some very strange things happened on the fourth and fifth uh, of January, yeah? and that's something that will require major uh, major investigation. Uh, we know that there were mixed crowds in the streets of Almaty. There were kind of the, the protests that we usually see with uh, with political demands. Uh, we saw some um, some people from the outskirts of Almaty. Uh, the, we um, we hadn't seen these faces uh, before. Um, we definitely um, saw some criminal criminal elements, uh, really bandits, thugs, um, in big numbers in the city as well. And uh, where they came from, where they where they mobilized by some forces, you know, that that's a that's a big question. But it seems to me that. Uh, uh, it was orchestrated to 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 some extent. The, the the kind of this mobilization was orchestrated. Like so many things were going on. There was the kind of there was a protest. There was a genuine mobilization by kind of people who wanted some change, who were really uh, uh, sick and tired of what's happening what's happening in the country. Uh, but there was something more kind of much more sinister going on um, uh, going on. Uh, as well, and uh, the uh, what Barbara mentioned, the big question is why the security forces left left the city unprotected. Yeah. Uh, my own mom, uh, she she saw the uh, the military trucks leaving, kind of going away from the center uh, around seven eight in the morning on the fifth of January, and that's when there was this you know big disorder in the streets already. So. So the city clearly was left completely unprotected. Um, what was happening in Akorda at this moment? Yeah, that's when uh, when uh, President Takayev reaches out to uh, President Putin and President Lukashenko and you know asks for 
uh, asks for help. Um, so, and I think it sort of does make sense to me that, you know, if he didn't have much control with security, uh, security forces, then, you know, uh, inviting CEOs to might have been the only, uh, the only choice he had, uh, he had at the time, no matter how tragic this decision is and how much it affect, uh, kind of affects the damages, the reputation of, uh, uh, of the country as a sovereign, um, sovereign state. Um, on the 6th, the, 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 the security, the military um, came back. That, that's after, you know, the, the CSTO um, kind of decision. Uh, well, the decision was ma made by the CSTO to send, uh, to send peacekeepers, right, to deal with the external terrorist, uh, external terrorist act. And here, uh, my take on it is that uh, the kind of invoking, uh, invoking kind of this terrorist, external terrorist, threat was the uh, the only kind of legitimate way to get the CSTO troops quickly uh, into the country. Um, uh, we see that, that they are not really uh, participating in uh, any uh, in military operations on the ground. So I think that their role was primarily symbolic. That, that's, that's my take on, on it, we'll see. Uh, I think that will leave uh, fairly, uh, fairly soon. Uh, and uh, the kind of uh, the, the arrival signal to you know, political elites that uh, uh, President Takayev has the support of uh, of Russia of uh, President Putin, um, uh, and it was of course a signal to the outside world, you know, that that you know, <laughs> Russia uh, is in charge. It is uh, Russia's sphere of influence. And when you know when there is a crisis, it's Russia will take care of it. Um, so the uh, okay, a little bit uh, digressing, but uh, um, I I think the kind of they had to do it. They had to say that it was an external <laughs> external uh, terrorist attack for political expediency. Uh, but not with regard to protesters, but more kind of to get the, the uh, to get the excuse, uh, the kind of legitimate reasons to bring to bring um, Russian support. Um, so, and already we see the changing kind of changing narrative. Um, uh, well, the new state secretary Yerlan Karin, for example, he gave an interview. Um, I guess today, uh, today in Kazakhstan to, to Blast KZ. And he said that it was a conspiracy of domestic actors with some, with the participation of some external destructive forces. Um, so already we see this kind of shift of the emphasis on, uh, on domestic actors. And we do see that, uh, Top people, some top people are being detained, and uh, and so on and so forth. And we see some suicides already, you know, of Kanbe uh, people, and so on and so forth. So, um, what next? Uh, as I already mentioned, I think CSTO forces will leave. Uh, I don't think they will stay because it would be a huge problem for uh, for uh, the um, for Takayev and uh, his government. Um, uh, I think it served its purpose already, so uh, it's definitely uh, it was kind of uh, uh, a win for for President Putin. Um, but I, I don't think they will stay. It's definitely kind of uh, not an invasion or anything like that. Um, I I think there will be uh, a we will see reforms, at least an attempt to carry out uh, reforms, particularly socioeconomic reforms, because I think there is a uh, there is a there is understanding at all levels that the country is in a very bad shape, uh, and uh, it's uh, now the situation is explosive. Uh, so uh, President Takayev keeps keeps talking about these reforms. We'll see what package he will uh, put together. Uh, and if the most kind of the most predatory 
elite members are removed from the system, maybe there is a chance. And if the good people are put uh, uh, put in charge of the reforms, then maybe we do have a chance. And maybe then the uh, kind of all the loss, the losses, and the trauma of last week will not be in, in vain. Um, as for political reforms, he promises political reforms. Um, I don't know how much uh, kind of how much he can deliver in this department, but I think there is kind of an intention is there. But of course, we should forget that it's not a complete overhaul of the system. We're not dealing with the revolution. Uh, it's these are the, the kind of the same people, but you know, kind of different group in the same system who who will be trying to uh, to do these things. And definitely there are kind of, uh, it's hard to change ways overnight. Yeah, and that's why we hear some strange rhetoric and some, you know, uh, and uh, the, the propaganda in this embarrassing, highly embarrassing case with the Kyrgyz musician who was kind of shown on TV as if he's this kind of hired, uh, um, you know, hired foreigner to destabilize, you know, kind of uh, used to destabilize Kazakhstan. So uh, there the, the will be an attempt to, to introduce new ways, but of course the old ways, they still hold strong um, on, uh, on the system. And for me, the kind of the most worrying, kind of what, what really worries me uh, today is to think how the kind of development of the political system proceed from now on. Uh, whether the you know, political elites will be able to find some kind of equilibrium that is you know, good for the country, for the stability of the country uh, or not. The latest event showed that uh, the, um, well, the, later, the, the kind of the past decade shows that uh, um, our, our elites are not in the best shape, our political elites definitely, uh, um, we're not thinking of the public interest of the national interest. So I do hope that people kind of more public interest minded, more national interest minded uh, will kind of, you know, <laughs> will, come, uh, will come up and, uh, uh, and we'll see. So the, the, there is a lot of worry, but also some hope that, uh, that I think we, we have now. Thank you. Great. Well, I think on that we will be able to conclude. It has been really wonderful and I wanted to thank you all of you for, for giving us your, your comments and all of you trying to stay very uh, uh, modest in what we know and as Timo was saying, how we have to filter information and also be careful about the lenses we are using to interpret what is happening. So. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, all of the 500 people we had with us today for the very lively discussion. Uh, uh, a lot of yeah, uh, warm feelings and to all those of you who have uh, uh, close families and friends and colleagues in, in, in Kazakhstan. And we will be reconvening probably in a few days, early next week for other uh, events, hopefully with our Kazakh friends based in Kazakhstan once internet will be able to be totally restored. So once again, thank you uh, uh, to all of you and hope to be uh, continuing our discussion very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.